This week's scripture lesson comes from the book of Numbers, chapter 11, verses 24 through 30. Hear the word of the Lord. So Moses went out and told the people the words of the Lord. And he gathered 70 elders of the people and placed them all around the tent. Then the Lord came down in the smoke and spoke to him and took some of the spirit that was on him and put it on the 70 elders. And when the spirit rested upon them, they prophesied, but they did not do so again. Two men remained in the camp, one named Eldad and the other named Medad, and the spirit rested upon them. They were among those registered, but they had not gone out to the tent, and so they prophesied in the camp. And a young man ran and told Moses, Eldad and Medad are prophesying in the camp. And Joshua, son of Nun, the assistant of Moses, one of his chosen men, said, My Lord, Moses, stop them. But Moses said to him, Are you jealous for my sake? Would that all the Lord's people were prophets, and that the Lord would put his spirit on them. And Moses and the elders of Israel returned to the camp. This is the word of the Lord. When we were coming up and leaving church on Sunday morning, we had one goal in mind. I'm referring to my siblings and myself, of course. That one goal was to convince mom and dad to take us out to lunch. There's something about going out to eat that is more exciting than eating at home, especially after church on Sunday. One day, we exited the church, hopped in the car, and said, Mom, can we go out to this Chinese restaurant we wanted to go to? Great Crab Rangoons. My mom said, nope, we're broke. We're going home. You could feel the sigh of despair in the back seat of the car as me and my two siblings were frustrated that we were broke and couldn't go out. We thought we'd try to convince her anyway. My sister prayed on it. My brother tried mind control, and I tried verbal manipulation. <laughs> Came out of the church parking lot, went one way, and then the next. We knew the first restaurant we'd come by was a Hardee's. We also knew that Hardee's was kind of cheap comparatively, so we tried to convince her, saying, Mom, can we go to the Hardee's? It's very cheap. It's not like the Chinese buffet. And she said, we're broke. We're going home. We took another turn, and we happened upon one of those areas that's got four or five different restaurants all sitting next to each other. Nothing expensive, mind you. There, there were golden arches and a funny-looking Western hat, and thought maybe we could go there. But we kept driving right on by. We kept getting closer and closer to our neighborhood, and as we did, our hearts sank a little more because the food at home is not exciting. It's terrible, really. It's the worst thing we've ever tasted. <laughs> when you want something and you can't have it, everything is so awful. And we pulled into our neighborhood. It's filled with trees and homes and a lake. There's not a restaurant for about a mile. We just knew that our fate was sealed. One final prayer was uttered, though, as we pulled in the driveway. Maybe God's Spirit would come and impress upon my mom a new direction, and she'd reverse course and take us to Arby's didn't happen. She got out of the car and said, I'm going to make you lunch. And we went inside and we sat down at our table and she made a nice meal because she's a great cook. And we looked at everything she had made and just said, this is awful. We don't like this. <laughs> you know, leading children's hard. 
Sometimes it's a pain in the neck to lead children. The truth is, leadership in general can often be a pain in the neck. Leaders do complain behind the backs of their followers to other leaders that sometimes even their adults act more like children than they act like adults. This is a leadership lesson that Moses had to learn over and over again in his time with the people of God. The book of Numbers is recalling a particular time when the people were being particularly picky. You see, Moses was leading the people out of Egypt through the wilderness on the way to the Holy Land, and there they had been given provision by God. It's a strange thing called manna from heaven. Every day they were called to collect it up and make it into loaves of bread or cakes for eating. But the people grew tired of eating it. They wanted meat instead. And they cried about it and complained about it and whined even more. And they wouldn't stop complaining to Moses. They even went so far as to tell him that life was better back when they were slaves. Because, you know, we had meat to eat. I can kind of understand where the people are coming from. One Lent, I decided to give up meat for 40 days. That's hard for me to do. I remember growing very tired of the honeydew, melons in the cafeteria. It was at the university at the time. I got tired of the salads, and I even got tired of eating pasta. No one's ever said that before. <laughs> That's how I felt. I, was, I just wanted the texture of meat the seasoning meat in my mouth, and one day I got up and I, I just couldn't take it anymore. So at 10.30, because 10.30 is when McDonald's starts to serve lunch, I drove down to Mickey D's. I was going to break the fast. Thankful that day that the line was a little extra long, so I sat there with more time to think about how I was betraying God in a drive through And I got up to the thing, rolled down my window, and I feel the Spirit come upon me to tell me, don't make this decision. And the lady says, how may I take your order? And I said, I'll have a Big Mac, no meat, please. <laughs> I know how they feel when, when you can't have something, you often just want that one thing. But I know how Moses feels too. I understand where he's coming from in his frustration. He's thinking, don't they remember where they came from? They were once slaves, and now they're free. Why are they whining? They've got food to eat. Lord, Moses cries out in frustration, these people are too much for me. They never have enough. There's never enough. They want more. They're always complaining. They're always whining. Nothing's good enough. Have you ever felt like your complaint box was getting just a little too full? Maybe so full you couldn't shut the lid on it? Oh, Moses feels that way in this story. And so God speaks. You tell them for me, Moses. Tell them I'm going to give them so much meat that when they eat it, it's going to come out of their nostrils. That's literally in the Bible. I didn't make that up. Just read above what we're talking about. God is going to give them so much meat, it's going to come out of their nostrils. But God also heard the grievance and the cry of his broken leadership heart. Leadership is tough. I was taking a walk the other day listening to a leadership podcast, and the interviewer was interviewing a guy by the name of Jocko Wallink, who's a retired Navy SEAL. 
He speaks to CEOs and companies and all the leadership types around the world about what it means to be an effective leader. The questioner, the interviewer, said to Jocko, what do you do when your subordinates mess up royally? When they make your organization look bad, when they make you look bad, when they do something that you can't fix? And Jocko says, you take responsibility for it. I remember I was standing under my neighbor's willow tree. I remember where I was when I heard it because I was very disappointed. I was disappointed because I was hoping there was a trick, an easy answer. So was the interviewer. He asked Jocko again. He said, you take responsibility? That's not fair. Jocko said leadership isn't fair. He's right. But the Lord cares for Moses. The Lord cares for his burden. So he tells him, here's what you do. Take 70 elders of the people. Count them up. Register them. Put them under this tent. I'm going to meet you there. And so there they are, and they experienced what we call a theophany, a physical manifestation of God. The physical manifestation of God in this story is like a cloud. God comes to them in a cloud, and it says that God takes a little portion of the spirit that Moses had. Moses, to lead the people of God, had been gifted with God's spirit so that he could speak words of God to the people. And it was taken a little bit from him, indicating to everyone else that he's still the big human leader to lead the people of God. And as it was taken from him, it was given in small portion to 70 other people. And in that moment, as they received the Spirit of God, they all began to prophesy. And prophecy, don't forget, it's not limited to predicting the future, 99.9% of prophecy is simply speaking on behalf of God to physical and social realities. Wonderful moment where people have a share in the leadership burden that Moses has. And there's a temptation here. The temptation appears because we seem to have something of an exclusive club in the middle of the wider people of God. It's only 70 who get to share in the Spirit. It's only 70 who can now prophesy and speak on behalf of God. That's a small percentage of the people. The thing is, is we're often tempted as human beings to exclusivity. One of my favorite movies is It's a Wonderful Life. I love that one scene where George Bailey, very early on, is in Gower's drugstore behind the soda fountain. He's got a magazine in his back pocket, and Mary Hatch, his future wife, is in there trying to flirt with him. She reaches over the soda stand bar and reaches into the back pocket and pulls out the magazine. She goes, oh, a new magazine. I haven't seen this one before. And George, rather rudely, snatches it out of her hands and says, well, of course you haven't. Only us explorers can get it. I've been nominated to the National Geographic Society. You should all laugh at that because you're not nominated in it in any other way than by writing a check. You can get the National Geographic by paying for it or going to your local library to borrow one. But George liked the idea of being in an exclusive class of people, world explorers. We love exclusivity, just be honest. That's why we have social clubs that some people are allowed in and others aren't. That's why some of us live in exclusive neighborhoods. 
They're exclusive because some people can't afford to live in them. And sometimes we don't care. We don't care how it looks, and so we put gates up in front. Only some can come in. Did you know that we even like exclusivity when it comes to church? It's a dark reality, but it's true. I was at a meeting of ministers here from the historic Midtown churches, and we were reflecting on church growth and church membership. And one of the fellows of the group was talking about a famous church in our community. I won't name it. But this minister said, did you know that that church receives 500 new members a year? We all kind of dropped our, our jaw wide open because the truth is, if I could add 500 people in 2017 to this church, I would. So we all wanted to know, how do they do it? He says, well, the truth of it is, is that place is seen as a prestigious place. It's seen as a place where you can go there and network and meet people who have a lot of power and a lot of wealth. And people join because they think it's going to advance them somehow. But make no mistake, it doesn't affect church attendance. They don't have 500 more people a week showing up. Yes, it's true that even in the church, there is a sense of exclusivity when we do church wrong. People can feel the implicit exclusion, perhaps if they can't afford to look the way we look, to wear blazers and ties, or perhaps because maybe in their life they've expressed themselves with tattoos on their necks. Maybe they can just sense the room, that it's not the space for them. Let's not even go into the fact that the church isn't necessarily the most gentle place for someone to recover from addiction. There's a lot of judgmental watching even in the church. You ever wonder what God thinks of this? Something interesting happens next in our story. You see, two guys, Eldad and me dad. Dan called him May dad this morning, but I like me dad. How do you feel about me dad? Hey, me dad. No? Not? Okay. They're funny, they're funny names. We don't know how to say it, but Eldad and Maydad are there. They're not one of the 70. They're not two of the 70. They weren't included. They're not elders. They're not under the big tent revival. They are somewhere else. But the cloud of the Spirit of God comes and speaks to them, and they begin to speak. Out in the camp, they begin to prophesy. That is to say, they begin to speak words from God. Joshua hears of this. This is Moses' right-hand man, and he's a bit upset about it. He chimes in, wait, wait, who, who let those two in? Who invited them? They weren't invited. Why are they doing this? Can you understand his concern? Oh, I can. I like order just like anybody else. If everyone just starts doing things that they weren't invited to do, then chaos will ensue. They're not included. They were not invited. Maybe they were overreaching their role, Joshua thinks. But you've got to love Moses as a leader. He speaks so frequently from the heart of God, and he does so here. He looks at Joshua, and he says, Joshua, are you jealous for my leadership? If only all of you, if only every one of us had the Spirit of God, then we would be better. If only everyone here could speak from God's own heart, wouldn't that be better? Moses is not jealous for his leadership. He wants to share that leadership with others because it would make the world better. The last minister I worked with in Illinois had that same theory. Ministers are notoriously jealous for their pulpit. They don't like it when other preachers get up and preach. 
because they enjoy it. That's just the truth. And sometimes they're offended or worried when another person is very talented. The senior minister I work with, Larry Sharp, was a great-hearted man who said, Jared, I heard that you love to preach. I said, I do. He goes, do you think you're any good? I says, well, I think I, I'm pretty good, maybe. And he says, I think that you need to work at it. So I want you to have at least a share of the pulpit once a month at minimum. And I think it would be better for the church to hear from another voice too. That was a remarkable move of generosity because he knew what Moses knew, that it's better to share the gifts and it's better to spread out the work of God. Well, in the days of, Je in the days of Moses, we see what we see so frequently in our own time, a desire for exclusion and inclusion. There were some who were chosen. That meant that many else were excluded. The truth is, though, it's not in keeping with the heart of God. You see, in this moment where it looks as though only 70 get a share of the Spirit, or 72, with Eldad and Maydad, what happens there is eclipsed in the book of Acts. On a day called Pentecost, the 50th day after Easter, the day that we celebrate here in this very hour, on that day, the Spirit of God comes upon all who proclaim Christ and is given to anyone, to all people, to any race, to any ethnicity, to slave, to free. If you follow Christ, you can have a share in the Spirit of God. If you follow Christ, you are given gifts by the Spirit to go and work on behalf of God. If you follow Christ, then you can speak from God's own heart too, my friends. That's what the book of Acts shows us. So in Numbers, what we have is a simple nod to this future reality. We have an amuse-bouche of a greater reality with God's Spirit in the life of the church. Here in Acts, we are reminded of what Moses taught the people in Numbers. This whole thing called the church, the community of God, empowered by God's Spirit, isn't really supposed to be a gathering of exclusivity. It's supposed to be one that has wide open doors calling forth to all people. It doesn't matter who you are or where you're from. It doesn't matter how you look today. There's a spot at the table for you it remembers that the great host of the banquet is God, not me, not you, not any different person in this room, but God. And God is a generous host who bids us all come. He says to people who feel like misfits and outliers and weirdos, you're not so strange. Come be peculiar with us. Truth is, if we look into the recesses of our own minds as we sit at the great place at the table, we would realize too that we're all a little strange that there's probably a reason to exclude me. There's probably a good reason to exclude you. The Spirit of God wants none of it. The Spirit of God says, come one and come all. This is the church. Moses knew this. And so Moses prepared on a potential way forward for the share of ministry work to be done in the Spirit to spread to others. Acts reveals more profoundly that the Spirit comes on all. Friends, let's stop holding the door closed to some. You never know. 
Maybe once someone comes in who doesn't necessarily fit the way we look, fit our parts, maybe the Spirit wants to do something with them while they're here. Who knows? Maybe the Spirit wants to do something with you through somebody else who you've least expected to bless you. Friends, I invite you today, if anyone would like to come forward during this next hymn and become a part of the church, if you would like to be prayed over, please come forward and see me. You are always invited to ask more, to learn more, to walk with us as we are all trying our best to be the church, a place that includes people in the life of the Spirit. I bless you in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit.